Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio, where we'll talk about news, education, and opportunities for small businesses on the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street and in Washington, D.C. I'm Michelle Yancey. And I'm Kyle Todd. Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Today we're joined by Philip Sample, the general manager of Good Food Markets located in Woodridge on Rhode Island Avenue. Welcome, Philip. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. As a native Ward 5 person and a Washingtonian, um, there hasn't been a grocery store with good food in years. I can remember, I mean, I think the 80s was the last time, so to say the neighborhood was in dire need of this would be an understatement. So I've read that this is not your first local sustainable grocery business. Can you tell us what that means to be a local sustainable grocery store? Sure. Um, You know, our goal with Good Food Markets was to uh, develop a concept that could be expanded into other food desert communities. Before we opened on Rhode Island Avenue, um, the census tract where our store is was designated as a food desert by the USDA. And they've gotten very granular on what that means over the last few years, but it fell into what their original classic food desert designation was, which is uh, a community or a neighborhood um, that doesn't have access to fresh food, meaning fresh produce, fresh meats, those sorts of things, um, for at least one mile um, from a central location. Uh, and income and access to transportation makes it difficult for the residents to access the existing um, stores in in the area. So, you know, we've got the giant down at Rhode Island Row. You've got Yes Organics over on 12th and Monroe in Brookland. You have the Glut up at Mount Rainier. All of those take some getting to um, and may or may not be serving uh, the types of, of fare that the community is looking for. So what we did in coming into Woodridge is talked with every single person who would speak with us. Uh, formally, informally, um, we set up surveying on the front windows of the store while construction was taking place, asking people, tell us what your favorite food is, what's your favorite meal to make at home, things that could sort of help us to understand the community, what they were looking for, Um, And we did over 200 formal surveys, getting really specific about what people eat, what they buy every week. Um, And that's what's essential to making a small store work, uh, is finding those key items that cross each segment of of the population. Okay. So how did you and your partners, Chris Guerin and James Anderson, get into this business? Well, Chris and James um, are longtime D.C. residents, uh, James has a uh, commercial and residential real estate development company called Novo Dev. Chris is a real estate investment banker with R.W. Baird. And they were uh, social friends and were interested in, in why this phenomenon had established itself uh, in the United States, where you have communities, for example, within one mile of one mile radius of, of the current Good Food Markets location, over $16 million is spent every year on what's called food at home, which is essentially your groceries. Now, this is a self-reported figure from Census, um, so it's not always 100% accurate. Nothing is, but it gives you a sense of how much money is actually being spent in the community. And now you have larger businesses saying to the community, you can't support a store. 
we're not going to come into community. It's not dense enough. There's not enough spending. It's not affluent enough, whatever the, the niche of that, um, that store was. And what they started to look at from really from their perspective, which is a real estate perspective, is how is this possible? You have people, you have people who are eating, um, as we're wont to do, and why can't someone figure out a way to serve these smaller communities um, before they become, you know, high-rise developments? Um, and, and really to make the community, um, or engage with other community stakeholders to uh, improve health uh, resources, whether that be education, whether it be actual care, um, and then just the the availability of fresh, healthy food. Um, and so I came to the project from New Orleans. I was working to develop a nonprofit grocery there centered around an urban farm and job training program. And in in doing research for that project, I ended up speaking with a food bank in St. Joseph's, Missouri, of all places, and they had just opened a retail store um, as a uh, offshoot of their food bank uh, main mission. And I started asking them questions, and they started giving me answers, and after about 15, 20 minutes of talking, they said, you know what, this guy from D.C. called us about a month ago asking all these same questions. You should call him. And they gave me Chris Guerin's number, and we played phone tag for, I don't know, a month or two. And finally, one day, we got, he got me on the phone, and we ended up talking for about an hour and a half. And I thought he had a really good sense of what the issues were and how to tackle them. And one thing that was missing from our team in New Orleans was someone who really understood finance, and Chris understands it really well. And he's been able to bring on nonprofit lenders, um, governmental agencies, community organizations like Rhode Island Avenue Main Streets that... Um, have enabled us to access funding that would be um, inaccessible to to a normal for-profit business. Um, and in, in the, we are an LLC, but we are not looking to, this is not a, you know, get-rich-quick scheme. This is a, how can we find a store that can sustain itself on the existing spending and, and with the existing community and help them get what they want while being a, a benefit in terms of employment, in terms of food access, and in terms of health education resources. So for our listeners that have not stopped by your store, tell us what kind of items that uh, they might find sure. on well, shelves. Sure. Um, we're fast approaching 2,000 SKUs, as they say in the business, which would be unique um, products in the store, uh, full selection of fresh produce, uh, especially uh, local stuff, which is finally coming in. Um, that was a bit of a shock to me coming from the South, uh, grow up in Texas, work in New Orleans. Uh, right before I came to D.C., I was working on a farm in North Carolina. You know, we were having tomatoes in February. That's not happening up here. Right. <laughs> so, um, but now we're, we're getting the local stuff in there. We have a great partnership um, with a broadline produce supplier so that we have fresh, um, affordable produce all year round. Um, meats, seafood, dairy, you know, milk, cheese, eggs, those sorts of things. Um, you know, uh, and then a full array, or as full array as we can fit in a thousand square feet of, of your basic grocery and cooking items. So would the customers find the prices comparable to other grocery stores? Yeah, we are out there every week checking prices. We are doing everything we can with our suppliers to lower our prices to get them in line. It is very difficult to compete with 
Giant, Safeway, Harris Teeter, these in, these big chains that have huge purchasing power and are buying things months and months in advance. Um, and so we have to work extra hard to build relationships with people so that they they will allow us to access the same sorts of prices that, that their larger clients do. Sometimes we're successful, sometimes we're not, uh, but that is always our goal. And if there's a product that we can't bring into the store at a reasonable price, usually we're not bringing it in. Um, it in our experience, it doesn't make sense to have something in the store that's unaffordable. We, we will seek out that similar product that has a better price point and offer that as opposed to offering something that maybe one out of every ten people is going to even look twice at because of the price. i got to um, tell you, Philip, excuse me for jumping in, but uh, as a regular shopper there these days, I have yet to uh, not find something that, that I've – needed for our regular household cooking and the prices have been fantastic thank you and and we really try and and what what has i think differentiates us from other small stores um and especially from other large stores is that personal relationship that we can build with our customers um i mentioned the the surveying on the front window before we opened we continue that in the store with a large chalkboard where people you know what do you want to see um, what are we missing? Uh, that was a classic question over the first, you know, 60 to 90 days is, was there anything you were looking for that you didn't find? And anything that, any answer we got that we could bring it in, we did. Um, so that means the customers can help select what you all carry sometimes. Absolutely. They, they can affect. Always. That. In fact, that, that's the number one driver. I mean, there's the obvious things, you know, um, that, that every store is going to have, but, um, you know that's that's the way that we've found to to serve the community in the largest way possible in the smallest space that that well, we can. Um, so you all carry beer. I've we heard. do. We just um, were approved for um, our beer and wine license. And when is the wine coming in? That's the wine the is question. coming in this weekend. Ah, yeah. okay. Very good. So, the beer selection is is uh, small but mighty. Mm. It's a very Thanks. very good beer selection. Nicely curated, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And and a lot of that is the same thing. Came from suggestions. You know, we had a lot of time going through the ABBA process to talk with our customers. What are they looking for? Um, a lot of research at other stores, talking with vendors, you know, uh, just trying to make sure that we've covered all our bases, that when someone walks in there, they're going to find something they like. So what types of things do you expect to happen for the store in the next year or two? Any Anything on the horizon or any plans, any other locations in D.C. maybe or somewhere else? Um, we've certainly been approached about other other locations within the district and even by some uh, organizations that are working um, in, the, in the area at large, mm-hmm. um, in communities that uh, have, that struggle with food access. Our, our focus right now is to make good food markets on Rhode Island Avenue the best store that it can be. Uh, work through all of the, you know, kind of climb the learning curve as far as doing something that really isn't being an att- isn't being attempted um, in a lot of other places. Um, you kind of breaking away from the convenient, <coughs> excuse me, kind of breaking away from the convenience store model. Uh, first, folks that don't really can't. What I'm trying to explain the store to someone and I see that I'm not really getting through. 
oftentimes what I'll say is just think of a convenience store with fresh produce. And, and that starts to click with them. And then they're like, well, do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have that? It's like, yes, yes. Oh, okay. People walk in the store um, and, and see it for the first time. The most common response I hear is, wow, you have a lot of stuff. And going back to what I said earlier about, you know, really keying in on what those products are that kind of cross all segments of the community in any grocery store, roughly 80% of your revenue is driven by about 20% of your products. And that is absolutely true at our store as well. So I said we're, we're coming up on 2,000 products. If you look at the top 350 sellers, uh, individual products in the store, it accounts for 85% of our revenue. So that's where the key is, is finding those, you know, three, four, five hundred products that everyone's picking up on a weekly basis and that you can be there for. And then it's about filling out those, those other purchases. I mentioned meat and seafood. Um, beer and wine is, is a big part of a lot of people's weekly shop um, and, and part of a normal meal um, for, for a lot of folks. Um, and, and there's... You know, um, in terms of what we're looking to do over the next year or so is really just continue the process that we've already started, filling out more and more and more, finding ways to squeeze more into that space, um, moving products out that aren't doing very well, bringing in new products that um, have been asked for that we think will do better, improving our pricing, uh, building better supplier relationships, all of those things that will help us to be able to provide a better product at the most affordable price possible. And you all have prepared food as we, well, is we that do. right? We do. We have a number of prepared food partners. Um, one is DC Central Kitchen, who I'm sure a lot of folks are familiar with, an amazing organization, um, been around for decades, um, serving uh, DC residents um, who are struggling with, with hunger, um, with homelessness, with job placement. They have a, a hospitality job training program uh, that I believe graduates two classes per year. Um, they hire a lot of those folks to work within their organization. Um, they provide um, training all, all through, obviously, in the food service sector and the skills that you need to, to hold one of those jobs, but also interviewing um, and, and resume building and all the things that that uh, are difficult to attain unless you are you are taught them. I mean, it's not intuitive of how to respond to a question in an interview necessarily, or what to put on a resume, or what not to put on a resume, or how to phrase something um, in a way that that makes it seem like a positive to an employer. Things that you've learned, even if you've had struggles in the past. Um, so DCCK has been on board with us since long before day one. They were one of the first people to really key in on the possibilities uh, that Good Food Markets uh, has because they were operating a program called Healthy Corners, where basically they go into a corner store, um, you know, a traditional you know, junk food, lotto, beer and wine corner store, and, and say, you know, we will come in, we will give you a setup, we'll give you a refrigerator, we'll give you racks, and we will bring you every week fresh produce for you to sell. You, here's the prices. They're extremely affordable. You can set whatever prices you want. You can give it away if you want to. It doesn't matter. We're just trying to increase the amount of fresh fruits and vegetables that are available. And so they looked at what we were doing as really an extension of that, um, a kind of 
a whole store that was a healthy corner store instead of just this little corner of, of the corner stores that they were they were already working with. And that program has been really successful. They're in three or four dozen different corner stores now. Um, a lot of them have been on with the program for years, um, and, it, and it's really making a difference. And what they were, DCCK, was looking to do was to expand that into prepared foods. So they developed a menu um, in conjunction with us, and we sampled it at a lot of the community events that we were a part of um, last year and at the beginning of this year. Um, and it's basically a fresh, healthy um, alternative to fast food and takeout. We, same, same. And it sounds like it's helping the community as well. So, that, I mean, not just the people eating it, but the people serving. Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. great. So can you tell us where Good Food Markets is located and what the hours are so that people can come and see you all? Sure. We're at 2006 Rhode Island Avenue, the corner of Rhode Island and 20th Street Northeast. And our new summer hours are 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Great. And when do the summer hours start? They start on Saturday, May 9th. Great. And it goes through Labor Day-ish, or we'll see? We'll see. It okay. may. We're calling it summer hours. It may end up just being our hours. Okay, um, great. The wintertime is touchy that way. But um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll definitely be there all the way until it gets... Uh, too difficult to get there at 7 a.m. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Until there's a foot of snow on the ground again. And if, uh, if listeners want to find you on uh, on the web? Sure. We have goodfoodmarkets.com, Twitter handle goodfooddc. We're on the Facebook and um, Pinterest and probably some other things that I'm not aware of. I love that you said the Facebook. The Facebook. The Facebook. I know. I like <laughs> that, too. I want the the to come back. Yeah, I, I like the the, Facebook. the. the Facebook, yes. Well, Philip, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Okay, our next guest today is Mr. Daryl Maxwell from DC Bar. Welcome, Daryl. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Carl. Uh, so, DC Bar is uh, a, a nonprofit organization, and you have uh, multiple programs. And the one that I wanted to talk to you about is your small business assistance programs. Um, so, give us a, the 20,000 foot view of, of what DC Bar does for small businesses. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, the DC Bar Pro Bono Program provides free legal assistance for small businesses. Um, we try to target low-income neighborhoods, but in DC, as it's changing, um, our target is sort of fairly expansive throughout the city. Um, we provide that assistance through leveraging the members of the bar, um, of which there are over 90,000. And here in the District of Columbia, one in every 10 people <laughs> is a lawyer. So, no comment on all that. <laughs> I, <laughs> so in order for us to um, provide that sort of assistance, we do it in a number of ways. First, probably the way that is the most common and what we are probably most well known for is our monthly small business clinics, where if you are a startup entrepreneur or if you have a, uh, a business that has been ongoing and maybe you need somebody to take a look at your lease or you need somebody to review a contract that maybe you found on the Internet and you're using um, or uh, maybe you're just getting started. Probably the most common question we get is, I want to start a business. I have this great idea. What do I do next? What's the next step? And um, I kind of think I should talk to a lawyer about it. So um, 
we have been we have been doing the small business initiative of the pro bono program for the last 11 years and um just this past year we were able to reach over 450 uh small businesses within our small business clinics additionally we noticed that while uh, we were able to provide a lot of assistance at our clinics we also needed to do some training that was a little bit more in depth i would say usually if somebody comes into the clinic they may get to meet with an attorney for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, in some cases, three hours. But a lot of times we can alleviate some of the questions through focused trainings on employment law, on all different other types of business law, government contracting, reviewing contracts. So we try to do focused trainings a couple times a year. We also do webinars as well. Um, to try to meet the needs of our entrepreneurial clients. So um, I would say that is, in a, the 20,000-foot view, that's, that's in a nutshell the work of the Small Business Initiative of the Pro Bono Program. So, so do you see, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned seeing a, you know, kind of a cross-section of, of uh, life cycles of businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, what, what's the rough percentage breakdown i mean you see more new businesses do you see more uh businesses that have been around for a while and they're like hey i i just realized i need to i probably need to look into this this legal aspect of my business what what how what's the percentage breakdown roughly i would say we get a pretty high percentage of new businesses it would probably be in the 50 to 65 percent range probably 10 or 15 percent that have been around for a long time and then I'm not, I was, I went to law school, not a math major, but whatever the rest (laughs) of the percentage is, um, I would say it's, you know, folks who've been around maybe like one to three years, but I would say the high volume that we do is I have this great idea, or I used to work in a restaurant and I think I want to start my own, or I've been working as an independent contractor and I think I want to start out on my own, or I'm you know, I've been working on this guy's construction crew, and I think I can do this better and more reasonable, and I've got good guys I can work with, but I don't know. I know my business, but I don't know what I need to do to make sure I'm not running afoul of the law, that I'm making sure I'm paying my taxes, that I make sure that I'm paying people correctly, and I want, if we can get this help for free, thank God, <laughs> we'll do that. Well, that, that, I guess, leads to another question. Is, it, is there a fee for, for the services? Uh, so our small business clinics, there is no fee. We also do not have um, an income, you know, income requirement. Whereas, you know, if you come in and you make a ton of money, we don't turn you away. However, you know, we would hope that if you've taken advantage of our clinic and you start to make money, that at some point you'll be able to pay for services. But we do not turn anyone away. For our trainings, we do usually charge for materials. So. We have an eight-week course, for instance, that's all about the different areas of business law, and it's $50. And over the course of eight weeks with materials and food and refreshments, you know, it's fairly nominal. We've got another course that's four weeks, and it's 25 bucks. Oh, very reasonable for, for food alone. <laughs> and you're getting all this stellar uh, information. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, so let's think about the, the older businesses for a few minutes. Uh, you know, we've... Here on Rhode Island Avenue Main Street, we've got uh, a lot of businesses that have been around for decades, and uh, and 
they may be looking to expand. They may be looking to uh, uh, refresh their 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 stuff going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, out of out of all the older businesses that you've seen, what do you, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that the business owners are facing from a legal standpoint? So one of the things I was thinking about as I was coming over here was how many people actually review the terms of conditions in iTunes. Probably no one. You know, we, we just click the box. It and pops up, you click the box. Now, for a lot of businesses that have been around for a long time, they may be, you know, they look at their lease when they sign it, you know, five or ten years later when they have to renew it. Maybe they review it again, or maybe they just keep going on a month-to-month basis. For a lot of those businesses, particularly as um, ownership changes, as the neighborhoods change, um, and as the sort of market changes, we get a lot of businesses that either they may be getting priced out of their of their building if they don't own it, or they just don't really understand exactly what's expected of them per their lease or what they've agreed to. So I would say to all of those businesses, you know, dust off some of those documents, contracts, agreements, leases. Make sure you have a legal eye take a look at it because there may be things that they've agreed to that in practice they don't actually do. But if a new owner comes in and says, look, well, you agreed to pay this every month. It's just that your former landlord wasn't asking you to pay for it. Mm. They can sort of – they can like stick utilities or something. They can – I mean they can certainly – you know, they can you know, implement things that you weren't really doing in practice and – you always want to make sure that you aren't going to have those problems with a new landlord or a new ownership. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. You know, there's been a, a couple of instances um, that, that's gotten some press around the D.C. area about uh, businesses that uh, have lost their lease under the new owners of the buildings and, and being asked to, to vacate. And, and what doesn't always get mentioned is that some of those businesses are operating on a month-to-month basis as opposed to having a, a locked-in lease that's going to, for all intents and purposes, guarantee them at least another whatever they've got left on their lease, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's a really good point about looking at the lease and, and the importance of having a, a true and binding lease as opposed to going on a month-to-month basis. Yeah, and I, th- and I think for a lot of those businesses, your focus is on – the nuts and bolts of your business. If you're a restaurant, you want to get food, you want to get, you want to turn people around and you want to make money. If you're, you know, if you're a dentist, you want to make sure you're getting clients in and you're, you're, you know, and everybody's paying for their bills. You're not necessarily thinking about, you know, the minutia that's in your lease, but, and, you know, particularly as you've been, you know, when we're talking about businesses that have been around for 10 years, right. 20 years, 30 years, exactly. It's very easy to forget. And, you know, if you have a good relationship with your landlord, and then and it, th- that I've seen a lot. Great relationship with one landlord. That landlord sells the building because he wants to move to Boca Raton or something. Because who doesn't? <laughs> you know, of course. And, um, or it's just, you know, or that he, he gets a price he can't refuse and he decides to sell. And then you're having to have the same conversation. Uh, uh, to take a step back as well. A lot of times when a, build a, a business has been around for a long time, everybody sort of forgets where the documents are. <laughs> it's really easy. A lot of businesses either have nothing 
or they have everything, but it's all in a shoebox. <laughs> so when you can't find the lease or you can't find this agreement and you're just sort of working either on faith or on what's in your head, a new landlord is going to say, well, that's great, but from what I have in front of me, this is what you owe or this is what I expect or this is what – we have a clause in our lease that says we can increase the rent by this much every year. And the old landlord was like, you guys are a great tenant. We don't need to, to increase as much. And they're like, no, we're trying to make a profit off this. We're trying to maximize this property. You know, while it's not necessarily the best way to do business with a business that's been existing, you know, depends on who the landlord is. So uh, I say all that to say it's very important to make sure, and for all of those businesses out there, if you don't know where these things are or if you're unsure, look for them, request them of your landlord if you don't have them or if you don't have them handy, and definitely make sure if you have the opportunity – Speak with somebody about it, have them review it. And, you know, another thing about, particularly about leases, but also contracts and other documents, oftentimes we have clients who come into our clinics who they found something on the internet. They found an <laughs> agreement, they found a lease, and they figure, oh, it's on the internet. It must, someone must have vetted it. Someone must be certain <laughs> that it's going to work. I'm going to use this to for a client to sign, or I am, or, or they sent this to me, and they don't think about, well, how does this affect my particular business? Obviously, a lease, a lease for a restaurant is going to be different than a lease for an office space. It's going to be different from a lease for a yoga studio. There are going to be things in common, but you want to make sure that the lease that you use or the lease that somebody is giving you is appropriate for your business. Right. And if you're not reviewing, again, like, like I said before, terms and conditions, you read through, you're like, okay, I know how much I have to pay per month. Great. Where do I sign? This is the space I want. I want to get into business right now. You have to take a step back and make sure that you understand all the different points. Some of the points that you may read and think, oh, this is really not, you know, this, this, maybe this is not necessarily appropriate or this is not necessarily important to me. That's how they get you. <laughs> you want to make certain that you have somebody review it so they can, they can go through the finer points and say, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you need this to be a part of this lease? Also, when you're walking into a new – let's say you're a new business. You're walking into a new lease. Many landlords, much like business much, – I mean, they're business owners too, but much like your startup entrepreneur – they're also going to find a lease on the internet and it may not necessarily <laughs> the references in the lease may have nothing to do with your business. And they're like, well, I found it or somebody sent it to me or a friend of a friend of theirs said it was a good idea. You want to make sure that you're not agreeing to things that shouldn't apply to you or that don't make sense for your business. Um, and many tenants don't think they have a lot of leeway for negotiating and they're wrong. They may not have a lot of room to negotiate, but while you think I need this space to start my business, that landlord needs you in the space to pay the mortgage that they have to pay every month. Right. So if you're going to be a good tenant and you can demonstrate that you're going to be a good tenant, they're going to want you. But you want to make sure that whatever the agreement you're whatever you're agreeing to, is what 
is going to be beneficial for your business. Yeah, the, thus the word agreement. Every, everybody agrees. <laughs> right. Everybody agrees. Uh, so in, in thinking about new businesses too uh, and, and all the regulations that different businesses have to, to, to work within in, in this District of Columbia, uh, you guys work with DCRA. Do you bring DCRA folks in or do you just, you just know this stuff so uh, you can help them negotiate and, and navigate the, the permitting processes? So um, the Department of Consumer and Regulatory Affairs has been a fantastic partner um, with our program. So probably two to three years ago, they opened um, their Small Business Resource Center. And one of the things they asked was they were aware of our monthly clinics. um, And oftentimes, part of the advice that our lawyer volunteers give is, in order to submit these documents about incorporating um, and getting your basic business license, you're going to have to go to the Department of Consumer and Regulatory Affairs, and these are the people you should talk to. Well, they noticed, and what they were starting to find out was a lot of folks were coming in and asking legal questions. I think maybe I should be start my business as a limited liability company or a, a corporation or a sole proprietorship and going to the counter and asking, what do I do? Well, DCRA, all they can tell you is, we can't give you legal advice, we can't advise you, which I certainly would not suggest that folks who are not lawyers give legal advice. So they asked, could we have folks on hand available on a monthly basis who could provide legal advice to our customers? Um, And I thought it would be an interesting way to make sure that their client base was being helped at least once a month at the resource center. So I provide office hours there. Um, Thankfully, at DCRA, you can also get, at the resource center, you can also get assistance on the regulatory component. You know, you can can set up an appointment there. We also, about four times a year, our clinics, our small business clinics, which are held monthly, are held at the Department of Consumer Regulatory Affairs. So they will have on hand experts... Um, who can answer questions, and if they're, the right expert isn't there, they will make sure to either make referrals or to try to set people up to make appointments to come in to meet with someone. So um, um, just as DCRA has been – DCRA has been a great partner as well as a lot of the other um, – both district government agencies and um, other nonprofits who are small business technical assistance providers, Washington Area Community Investment Fund, Department of Small Local Business Development – um, DC Women's Business Center, um, the Latino Economic Development Center, um, among score a number of, among other places, but um, DCRA we've been able to sort of collaborate and help a lot of people both on the legal portion and the regulatory environment because a lot of folks get sort of tripped up at one or the other, and so we've been trying to tackle that on both sides. That's that's fantastic. It's uh, it's such a needed resource here uh you know again just thinking about our own main street program uh you know, we we have grants that we can make available to to businesses uh, for facade improvement uh new signage things like that and and one of the stipulations because we're using taxpayer dollars one of the stipulations is that uh they're up to date on all of their their legal requirements with the district of columbia and uh you know, 
just just like you were talking about leases sometimes the permits get filed away mm-hmm. or misplaced or uh, not updated as regularly as they should mm-hmm. because they're busy running their business, right? Um, can DC Bar, uh, with your with your small business program, can can you help those businesses that may be uh, a little out of compliance or behind on their permits kind of get something negotiated out with DCRA to get back in, in good standing uh, with Office of Tax and Revenue to be back in good standing? Wait. What kind of help do you offer on that? I will say we don't normally. Um, well, normally, if you're if you're not in compliance because you haven't paid like your biannual report, for instance, um, where every two years you have to make sure you're up to date and current. Um, if somebody comes into our clinic, for instance, and says, "Look, I'm not up to date," we'll normally direct them to. I usually it's the Department of Consumer Regulatory Affairs, and we'll just we'll direct them and say, "Look." Um, Usually there are a couple fees you're going to have to pay back fees and um, maybe a late fee and whatever the penalties are. But um, it's it's not something that we get into in terms of negotiating. But I will say this, oftentimes it just sort of piles on. So let's say you miss one, you miss it once. I just had somebody who came into the clinic last month who had missed it like six times. And... It was actually it was it was a nonprofit, not a small business, but the amount of money they were going to spend to come into compliance was going to eat a pretty big hole, sizable hole into their um, you know annual budget. And in that instance, I would say, don't let it keep moving forward. What you want to do is talk to the good folks at DCRA and see what kind of concessions can be made, if any. I can't say that there would be. Right. But um, DCRA, as, as I've talked to them, like they want to make sure people are in compliance because when they're in compliance, they can get paid, fees can be paid, and then the work of the District of Columbia can continue to get done. The more scoff laws you have and the more folks who aren't paying their fees, it's just like a running clock, but it's not bringing any more of the revenue that we're supposed to be getting here in the district. So um, I think it's the type of thing that if you're a business, you're not in compliance, talk to DCRA. Don't be afraid to come into the light. <laughs> talk to DCRA, and you try to get yourself back up to date. Yeah, it's just, it's just better to get it taken care of. And I, uh, you know, in, in, in full disclosure, Friends of Rhode Island Avenue, the, the nonprofit organization that, that runs – the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street, uh, we have taken advantage of the small business clinics, and uh, they've been incredibly informative. And I guess once once we did that, we were on a, a distribution list for, for email. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this past spring, when it was time for us to do our biennial report, uh, we got a great little email reminder saying, hey, your, your form, whatever the number is, is, is due in a few days. Don't forget about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a fantastic service because, you know, quite frankly, I had. would have forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so it, was, it, you know, I can I can testify that it worked, and um, so it's it's a, a great service all around. Uh, if if some of the business owners and uh, future entrepreneurs are, are listening in uh, are interested in learning more about TC Bar, uh, where where can they find it? Sure. So you can find information on the DC Bar's website, www.dcbar.org. You can also find information about 
our upcoming clinics. We do them monthly. Um, you can find that at www.lawhelp.org slash DC slash CED. Let me say it again. <laughs> www.lawhelp.org slash DC slash CED. What you can find there are, um, is our small business calendar, which will have information about when our upcoming clinics are going to be. We also post information about our trainings, webinars. Additionally, there's information, a whole small business resources page where you can find out the differences between sole proprietorships, limited liability companies, corporations. We have a whole manual on how to set up a limited liability company in the District of Columbia that uh, we found really helpful. Both our volunteer lawyers find it helpful and the entrepreneurs. Um, we also have webinars that we've done in the past. We've done a couple on government contracting in the District of Columbia and federal government contracting, as well as sort of, you know, a sort of lesser known sort of issue that um, occurs with small businesses is uh, sort of the immigration sort of um, potential issues that both businesses and their employees can get into um, surrounding small businesses. So we have, and we, we certainly look to do a lot more um, webinars on prop or real estate. I should say, I'm saying real property like I'm back in law school, but um, real estate and um, a, num a number of other, another things. So um, you can just go there and check that out. Great. So for the monthly clinics, um, is it a walk-in or do you have to sign up? Sure. So it is a walk-in clinic. Thanks for asking. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a walk-in clinic. We ask that folks pre-register only so that we know how many people to expect and how many volunteers to have. Okay, so I would say on average, depending upon the time of the month we do it, depending upon um, where we do it, and I'll get into that in a second, uh, we probably have somewhere between 20 and 40 to 45 uh, entrepreneurs who come in each month. We rotate our sites. As I mentioned earlier, um, we do it four times a year now um, at the Department of Consumer Regulatory Affairs. We also do it, we work in, in, uh, we work in partnership with the Anacostia Economic Development Corporation out in uh, Anacostia at um, the uh, DHCD's uh, Housing Resource Center. We do it with the Women's Business Center. We've done it in conjunction with the Latino Economic Development Center. Um, and we rotate sites. We try to make sure to hit as many parts of the city. And I can say, thankfully, that twice already this year we've been in Ward 5. Yes, you have. We were, at, um, <laughs> we were at Catholic University in January and in April. Actually, this is, was really exciting for me. Um, I mean, they're all exciting. But <laughs> this one was particularly exciting. April 1st, we had our first clinic targeted towards deaf entrepreneurs um, at Gallaudet University. Oh, wow. So while everyone was welcome, we worked in concert with uh, Gallaudet to make certain that we'd have enough uh, sign language interpreters um, to be able to deal with that need. And I would say probably about half of our uh, clinic attendees were um, – we're deaf. So it was turned out really great. I think we're going to do it again. Um, but yes, we try to make sure to hit, if we can, try to hit every ward. Um, and we are thankful to all of our partners who house us. I mean, 
we're like a traveling circus sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, we come in with an army of lawyers and law students and our, and our staff, uh, which really is just three of us. Um, and we, we've, we've, we've done our clinic in hallways in, I mean, not in bathrooms, not yet. Not yet. Um, <laughs> That's the first time. We can operate in tight spaces and, um, we will, you know, we done, actually this year was our first time at, uh, Carlos Rosario public charter school, um, or public charter high school in Columbia Heights. We did it in their auditorium. So wherever the entrepreneurs are, we'll go and wherever the need is, we try to be there. Great, great. Thank you so much, Daryl. Oh, my uh, pleasure. Daryl Maxwell from uh, DC Bar. Thank you again, and uh, we'll see you around Ward 5 again soon, right? All right. Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Please be sure to tune in to us next week, where we'll be joined by Dr. Bradshaw and Dr. Kassam of Ment Dental. And we will also be joined by Priya Bettadapur from the Vibrant Streets program of StreetSense. Uh, in the meantime, be sure and check us out on Facebook and Twitter, RIA Radio. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.